is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5-1280 The Zone. We'll hopefully talk with uh, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated coming up here in a moment. Uh, of course, your daily assist. We always look forward to uh, to talking to Chris. Some uh, some quick uh, college football news, uh, Gordon, while uh, while we're waiting for, uh, for Chris. Um, Ohio State kicker Blake Howbell announced on Instagram he will miss tonight's national title game against Alabama after testing positive for COVID-19. Obviously, we, we wish him the best of health, but it, missing your kicker, that, that could actually have some, some severe impact on the game tonight. Sure could. Uh, you know, this is, this is just the time we live in right now. And, uh, yeah, I – how many teams do you think a program like that would have uh, an excellent backup kicker? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would guess that they have somebody else that could kick. You'd have to, right? Well, if the game is going to be close, and we kind of, I don't know, some people are predicting a huge Alabama win, but I think Ohio, with the way Ohio State looked against Clemson, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think it might be close, Jake. And if it is, then that kicker always comes into play. Yep, no doubt. Well, it, it totally changes how you game plan, right? I mean, what you do uh, when you're in field goal range, are you more aggressive, less aggressive? I mean, if you know you don't have somebody who can make the field goal, are you going for it on fourth down? I mean, it, it really changes a lot. Well, you and I have friends who think that the kicking should be eliminated from football completely. So uh, who knows? People sometimes are, are hope, hope for certain things, and it turns out different. And like, let's say they don't. Let's say they don't have faith in their kicker, and there that means that's going to change the way they view fourth and short. Yep. Uh, that could end up working to their advantage if uh, if things fall a certain way. So who knows? <laughs> Forced to make the aggressive decision. Yeah. Um, all right, it's time for your daily assist. Let's get to it, Lloyd. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Out to the zone phone we go. Makes magic happen in Sports Illustrated. He's our friend Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. Going on, guys? Well, talking a lot of Utah Jazz basketball, obviously. Uh, they hammered the Bucks on Friday, uh, make it two in a row, didn't play as well against uh, uh, Detroit, but came away with win uh, nonetheless, Chris. Um, and Mike Conley has played really well. I want to get your thoughts on on him and how much better he's fitting this year, and uh, or so it would seem. Well, I think he's been great. Um, and it, it really just feels like a continuation of what we saw pre-stoppage last year <clears throat> excuse me when you know it took mike as you well know a couple months to kind of figure out a new system new teammates new style of play and he did that and, and started to play well before the stoppage now i think you're seeing 
just kind of a really smart player, pick up where he left off and, you know, really find a rhythm in this Quinn Snyder offense. I mean, you always do it's going to happen. Like Mike is too good and too smart to, to not, you know, kind of figure it out. Uh, but it's really been uh, a boost for the Jazz not to have to kind of go through some growing pains with their starting point guard this year. Chris, got to ask you before I get back to the Jazz, I want to ask you about this Board of Governors meeting that's scheduled for tomorrow. Are they really going to pause the season to discuss their plan about COVID-19 or what's going on? You know, I, I don't expect there to be a pause in the season at this point. And, and those – well, those conversations took place before uh, that I had took place before what happened in Dallas with the run of guys uh, that tested positive down there. So I suppose anything could be on the table. But, you know, my understanding from talking to people in the league office is that they're just going to try to plow ahead in whatever way possible to get through this tough stretch. I mean, there's just a belief, and it might be misguided, that if they get through the month of January – and February will be better than March, then more people get vaccinated, and eventually you know, players in the league will be able to get vaccinated en masse. So you know, what my understanding was that based on the call that took place today amongst general managers, what was discussed was more nibbling around the edges. What was discussed was tightening the restrictions on player movement and who could be around players when they're on the road, uh, potentially adding another roster spot that wouldn't cost teams any money on on their their books basically a, a free roster spot for a 16th uh, player there so I, I think that's those are the kind of things that were discussed today could something new be discussed tomorrow in the aftermath of you know the dallas stuff certainly possible but right now everything i've been told over the last couple of days that the nba intends to to kind of push through all this and hope that things get better Chris, uh, we just watched Blake Griffin, and maybe I haven't been following the the Pistons close enough to really uh, be familiar with this story. But he, and I'm not trying to be mean, but he looked like a, a completely different player out there to me. And you look at his stats, and they're they're way way down. Is it just a culmination of injuries with him, or what do you think is going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think his body has just been through so much over his career, especially his lower body. Um, you thought, what was it, a year or so ago that that Blake might be breaking through when he had that strong season, I think his first full one in Detroit. Uh, but, you know, you can see this year he's not the same guy. And I, I just – I don't know how much better it's going to get for him. Um, you know, he's they've had, what, you know, nine months off since the Pistons last played before the start of the season started up again to, to be at this point physically or to just not have the explosion and be the same type of player – I just don't know if you're going to get back. I mean, he's he's going to wind up being one of those great what-ifs in recent NBA history where you've got a guy that had so much potential coming into the league, but you know, quite literally from day one was banged up when he had the broken kneecap before the start of his first year. And you know, he obviously had some great seasons in between, but you know, those lower body, body injuries have, have really started to add up, and I think they've, they've taken a, a permanent toll on Blake Griffin. Chris, uh, I know it's early yet, but do you think that a player like Jordan Clarkson could win? Could end up winning the Sixth Man of the Year? He's been he's been such a stud off the bench for the Jazz. Uh, could he do something like that? I mean, he was my pick for Sixth Man of the Year for this exact reason. Um, he, he basically is the Jazz bench, at least what they put forth uh, offensively in terms of points and the opportunities are were, were and are obviously there for him. 
Uh, so, yeah, I think, look, I, I, you know, Jordan Clarkson, one thing we've known about him throughout his career is that he gets buckets. He's just a, a certified scorer. Sometimes he'll befuddle you with his shot selection and his volume shooting can, can be a little bit problematic for coaches or have been at times. But, you know, the Jazz don't have a lot of depth in terms of scores on that bench, and it creates a ton of opportunity for Jordan Clarkson. So, yeah, I, I, I am on record saying that this was something I – I fully expected coming into this year that Jordan Clarkson would be uh, uh, a strong candidate and if not the winner of six men. Well, Jake and I were talking about this, that the Jazz typically, the ball ball movement is really important to them. Yep. But there are times when that bench is out on the floor and Jordan Clarkson's out there, and it, it's not infrequent when they just hand him the ball and let him do the search dribble, work around, and then shoot it. That's what he does. No, I mean, sometimes you got to do what you have to do, right? I mean, if you have – Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, you know, a bunch of other guys like that on the floor. You want to move the ball around to get guys open looks. If, if you're going with a different cast of characters, a lot of whom have, you know, proven that they they are not as anywhere near the type of scorers that Jordan Clarkson is. You know, you just let the guy do his thing. I mean, it's it's not unprecedented. You know, some of the great six men in recent history have done that. Whether it's Lou Williams or you know Dennis Schroeder last year with Oklahoma City. Um, you just kind of unleash them. And, and Jordan Clarkson has been unleashed at different points in time this season, and uh, he's been really effective at it. I, you know, can he keep it up over the course of 70-some-odd games this year? And we'll see. He's, he certainly had some ups and downs in his career, but right now he's off to a great start. Who has more staying power at the top of the East right now, Boston or Philly? Uh, I would say Boston because Boston's going to get Kemba Walker back in a matter of weeks and that's going to give them a real boost. Uh, the Sixers, look, the, the ball movement in Philadelphia has been great. You know, the play of Seth Curry and Danny Green has been really good. Uh, I just think there's still there's still too many questions about their perimeter shooting, especially as as far as it holds up over the course of the season. And, look, I mean, MB and Simmons, until they actually play together at the highest of levels, I'm just not going to buy it uh, until it happens. The Celtics... You know, Tatum, he's going through his own COVID protocols of his own. Same thing with Jalen Brown. But when they're healthy, Tatum is an MVP candidate this year. Jalen Brown is right behind him, a certain all-star right now at this point, and, and, and really just taking the next step in his career. Throw Kemba into that mix, and that's as dangerous a 1-2-3 as you're going to find offensively in this league. So I think as, we, as the season progresses, there's gonna, I'm, I'm more confident that the Celtics have more staying power. Chris, I don't understand something. I don't watch him a lot, and so I haven't really broken it down, but maybe you have. What the heck's the matter with the Toronto Raptors uh, underperforming the way they have? Uh, is it playing in Florida and not agreeing with them, or what's going on there? Well, I mean, look, they they lost some key pieces. I mean, they, they lost their front court. You know, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol were a huge part of what that team, that team did over the last few years. Uh, Siakam... For whatever reason, he's not been the same player since he got into that bubble. I mean, you remember the first part of last season, he looked like a guy that was going to compete for an MVP slot, or at least a, a top-five slot, and then he tailed off then. The bubble was a disaster for him shooting-wise, and he hasn't really recovered, at least not at the level we saw at the start of last season. And, you know, those three things pretty much account for it. I mean, you can talk about what Kyle Lowry's doing and some of the other guys off that bench, but when you lose your front court and, you know, frankly don't replace it with with anything that resembled what you you had before no disrespect to an Aaron Baines and your top player Siakam is not performing at that highest of levels that's 
that, that's kind of what it is. I, I can tell you, none of them want to be in Florida. That's for sure. But it certainly is a, an inconvenience for those players to have to uproot their lives and their families and go to, to, to Florida and, and play there. But uh, it, it's so much more than that. It's, it's the roster overhaul that, that really has changed that roster. Kyrie Irving has been out uh, for a few games now dealing with some personal reasons, and I, I certainly hope that everything's all right in his in his personal life, of course. But fill us in. Was there some controversy where he texted his teammates that he wasn't going to be there but not uh, his coach? Uh, catch us up on that story a little bit. Well, it, in, the, in the aftermath or right before his first excused absence, he didn't tell Steve Nash where he was or, or what the issue was. Uh, Steve claims to have subsequently been filled in on it and he's keeping those conversations to himself but you know Kyrie's from what I understand has basically been telling his teammates the minimum at this point um I don't know you know look I have hesitate to speculate on why there's been some reporting out there about Kyrie's you know feelings about what happened in DC you know during the the riots there and, and that would fit with Kyrie's you know previous feelings you know remember when George Floyd was killed. Kyrie was one of the loudest voices, you know, amongst players saying we should not be going to the bubble. We should be, you know, standing up for civil rights and, and doing other things, and not playing basketball at this point. So you know, that at least lines up with what Kyrie has been, been talking about in the past, but we don't know that for a fact yet. And look, Kyrie's going to miss his fourth game on Wednesday. Uh, look, he, he, you empathize with him for sure, but at some point he's got to have to come back and play. Like it's as simple as that. I mean, Either that or, you know, the Nets are going to have to not pay him. He's taking a bunch of money. You know, this is this is getting to the point, I think, for Brooklyn where, you know, Kyrie's going to have to come back or there's going to have to be some consequences for all this. I mean, you, you never want to – you always want to respect the personal wishes of a player, but, you know, it, it better be a good reason if you're Kyrie Irving or else, you know, there's going to be some problems there. I mean, I don't know how much his teammates know. I don't know how they feel about it yet. They've been pretty mum – on the subject, but uh, we're certainly reaching that kind of breaking point where Kyrie's going to have to either explain himself further or show up and, and do his job. Chris, the next two games for the Jazz uh, as they go on this, uh, continue this seven-game road trip, uh, the Cavs and then the Wizards. The Wizards have struggled this year. The Cavs uh, may be better than some people thought they'd be at 5-5 five and five right now. What are the Jazz facing in those two teams? Well, the Cavs have statistically are looking pretty good. I mean, their their defense has been solid all throughout. And, you know, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, their two young stars, lottery picks the last few years, uh, they've been pretty good for them as well. So you have to contend with a pretty good backcourt in Cleveland. Then, but if you can contain them, I think you've got a good chance to win. The Wizards are a train wreck. Um, you know, you saw Thomas Bryant is now done for the year. That's their starting center. Russell Westbrook's going to be out for the next week. Um, you know, it, it, you're getting to the point in Washington where the conversation is not going to be, can we recover and make the playoffs? It's going to be, do we have to trade Bradley Beal before the deadline? So it's, you know, these are two very winnable games for the Jazz on the road, especially the Washington one where, you know, the Wizards are just falling apart at the seams. You surprised Scott Brooks hasn't been better there? Well, I, mean, I don't know if I blame Scott Brooks for a lot of the stuff that's happened, right? I mean, you know, it was like a week before training camp when John Wall just upends everything and says, I want to trade. Then you're asked to incorporate Russell Westbrook with, you know, a team, you know, the holdovers anyway, that, you know, had played with a pass-first point guard like John Wall. Now you have, you know, an issue with Bryant going out for the season. So, I, I look, I, 
I think Scott Brooks is an excellent coach. I, I don't put much of this on him. A lot of it's just circumstance and, and bad luck in the case of these inj- injuries that have slowed the Wizards down. But, you know, it, it's, you know, they're on a clock with Bradley Beal. He's got one year left in his contract after this season. And, you know, if you don't think he's going to want to be there long term and the more they struggle, the less likely I think it's going to be, you have to start seriously exploring a midseason deal uh, to make sure you maximize his value. The Lakers are rated in the top five in both defense and offense. Jake just looked it up a minute ago. And, of course, they lead the West. What do you think the Jazz have to do? Do they have to be a top ten team in, on both sides of the ball to, to, to be in the conversation uh, as a true contender? Absolutely. Um, you know, every coach that, you know, will tell you that you can be you can be a number one offense, but if you're not a top ten defense, you're not winning anything. Same thing with the reverse. You've got to be inside the top 10 in both those categories in order to succeed at the highest level. Now, the Jazz have proven in the past they can be you know, a top 10 defensive team. Uh, you know, can they be that consistent offensive team throughout the year? We'll see. I mean, but, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that, that's really the bar. If you're looking at metrics, there's a lot of metrics you can look at, but I, I would say top 10 offense, top 10 defense, and you at least give yourself a shot uh, to be a true contender in that conference. Chris, thank you as always. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix, our friend from Sports Illustrated, joins us each and every Monday. Jake, what did you say the Jazz are, 15 and 16? Uh, let's see here, Gordon. Uh, 15 offense, said. 16 defense, right? That's just not good enough, is it? No, that's got to get better. Uh, I would agree with that take. They are fourth in the West as we speak, tied, I guess. Um, with uh, the Warriors. Speaking of the Warriors, what, what do you think of what you're seeing there, Jake, with uh, the resurgence, if that's what you want to call it, of Steph Curry? Um, yeah, what do you make of them? Are they a, are they a threat to the Jazz uh, to battle for a, a similar positioning in the in the West? I don't think so. No, um, but the the word resurgence kind of bugs me for Steph because, I mean. <laughs> he got he got hurt. I mean, he hasn't really gone anywhere, right? He hasn't really had a slip in game. No, but I mean, injuries are do sort of get factored into that sort of thing. Well, I expected him to come back and be pretty good. I think you did too. Yeah, no and now he doesn't to, unless he unless he's hampered. Like you talked about, um, uh, who were you talking with Bogdanovich? About? Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm spacing it. Anyway, it like doesn't Blake? matter. Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blake Griffin, you were talking about that he's not the same player he once was. And any time you see a player get hurt, you wonder, how is that going to affect him? I mean, we're we're all thinking that with Clay Thompson, aren't we? You wonder, okay, how much can a body take? Yeah, I don't think Golden State has enough uh, uh, talent to really be a threat in the West. I mean, Steph's great. Don't get me wrong. And now he doesn't have to pass to anybody, so he can. His usage rate right now is thirty-two point six, which is a really big number. But I mean, Andrew Wiggins is terrible. Well, I don't, Wiseman I don't know he... Wiseman isn't there yet. Um, Draymond Green, when he plays, is not an offensive player. I don't know. Do you love Kelly Oubre? Pascal Eric Pascal is a good young player, but I don't know. If, if he's enough to, to really make them uh, a, a threat or be a Robin to Steph's Batman. So I don't – no, I don't see Golden State doing much. See, I thought uh, before Clay Thompson got hurt, I thought that they would be some somewhat of a threat. In the, I just remember 
and how beautiful it was to watch the Warriors play offensive basketball. But they were pretty good defensively, too. And uh, I know some people just got kind of warrior burnout after a while. They just got tired of it. But, man, that was that was wonderful basketball to watch. You know what? I think people forget, because I remember we had this conversation, and I thought uh, we, we disagreed a little bit on it. But what I think people forget is those, those teams you're talking about, they had some really good – um, adaptable players that made them unique, and they don't have those anymore. I yeah. mean, Deshaun Livingston played an extremely important role for them because he could guard every position and he could fit into their offense. The same with Andre Iguodala, right? Uh, they, yeah. You had a you had another Draymond Green like player who could come in and you could go small ball and you could guard anybody on the floor. I mean, you look at the the players they filled in around the quote unquote big three, and I realize Clay's not playing, but they're they're just not nearly as good as the players on those teams. Well, Iguodala, I mean, he won an MVP, a Finals MVP. Finals MVP. Another. But Andrew yeah. Wiggins isn't that. Kelly Oubre is not that. Um, you know, not near as good as some of those players. Kent ba- uh, Bazemore. I mean, they're just under talented. And it's not their fault because they paid all their stars so much money they can't pay anybody else. Remember, they got Kevin Durant kind of by accident because the cap jumped so much it was the only reason they could sign him. And when they lost Kevin Durant, it's not like it freed up money under the cap. True. True. But you could also remember that those teams are some of the best that we've ever seen, you know? I mean, that's not what we're talking about right now. We're just talking about contending in the West. Yeah, and I don't think they're there. They're not going to be there this year. Certainly. You know, the remarkable thing in looking at the West is that there are eight teams, if you want to if you want to go off of, you know, who, who qualifies for the playoffs. Eight teams, I know it's early, eight teams within two games of each other. Well, they've only played like eight games. Well, I know. So, I know. I mean, if somebody was down ten games, I'd be a little concerned. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> the last place team in the West is, is back, what, four and a half games. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I get the point you're making there, and I think the West will be tight. I'm just not so sure that that's, that's evidence quite yet. No, I know, and I mentioned that it's early. But the Timberwolves are four and a half back. <laughs> but I mean, but if you look at it, think about this for a second. And I do know, I recognize that it's early yet. But you have the Kings and the Pelicans uh, have four victories each. The Nuggets with five victories, along with the Spurs and the Thunder and the Blazers and the Mavericks. And then you got the Warriors and the Jazz with six wins, and the Clippers and the Suns with seven, and the Lakers with eight. You're right. There's not a lot of games played so far, but still, that's that's bunched up. That's bunched up. There's twelve teams in the East within two and a half of first. <laughs> so by that rationale, boy, the East is going to be a a horse race too. It's going to be close. Photo finish. <laughs> It is early. <laughs> is that true? What you just said? Yes. The Sixers, the Celtics, the Pacers, the Magic, the Bucks, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Hornets, the Heat, the Nets, and the Hawks. Uh, all within two and a half of first. At least two and a half. That's 11 teams, isn't it? Is that 12? No, is it 11? Excuse me. Excuse me. Pardon me. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'll hold my horses. Thank you. <laughs>
<laughs> Stay tuned. More Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's as simple as something that nobody knows it. Her eyes are as big as a bubbly toes on the feet of a queen of the hearts of the cards. And her feet are all covered with tar balls and scars. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We've got the Not Sports Report coming up at 4.50. Stay tuned for that. Gordon, let's let's set the bar high today. Let's go I'll with do my, let's go with uh, really interesting. How about well, that? I had I had a really good list going, but as I perused it, I, I thought nobody cares about any of this, and so I dumped it. Good, good. So, good. <laughs> so I am uh, pondering a few other okay. options at this point. All right, I like it. Uh, Gordon, I, this is floating around the Twitterverse right now, but somebody uh, uh, tweeted out a picture of the uh, concessions board at yeah, the national championship game tonight. And <laughs> quite, uh, for, quite minimal. Yeah, limited selection, uh, which uh, whatever, I guess is to be expected. But uh, did you look at the prices? No, I didn't. A 32-ounce college football playoff commemorative soda. You want to take a stab at it? Well, now that you set it up the way you do, I'll say twelve bucks. Fourteen dollars. Woo! <laughs> All right. Uh, the alcoholic beverages are are predictably high. A vodka lemonade will cost you twelve. Nineteen. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Nineteen ounce premium beer. Oh, what is that? Nineteen point two ounce premium canned beer, thirteen dollars. Sixteen ounce import canned beer, twelve. Sixteen ounce domestic bottled beer, eleven dollars, which is ludicrous. Okay, so. Let me ask you this. What do you think those would go for under more normal conditions? By normal, I mean if you were buying it at a store. At a store? Not at a bar, but at a store? Yeah. A 16-ounce uh, can of beer would probably cost you, cost you like a, a dollar, a dollar fifty. <laughs> so the, they're inflating that price 10, 11, 12, 13 times? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, here's the entrees. You ready for these prices? Yeah. Hamburger or cheeseburger cost you eleven bucks, but don't worry, you get chips with that. And uh, this this one might be the most offensive: um, a kosher style hot dog, twelve dollars oh. with chips. A <laughs> hot dog. One, that better be one gourmet dog. I'm telling you that right now, but it's probably not. No, I don't. I don't think it is. So there you go. Even uh, national championship during a pandemic. Got to make that money somewhere, I guess. There, Gordon. What's the most you've ever paid for a hamburger? Uh, I have no idea. I'll tell you the most uh, I've ever paid for a hot dog. Yeah, what? Uh, it was like twenty-one dollars. Woo! So, my wife and I went to uh, a Dodger game in L.A. Uh, several uh, years. This was like ten years ago, and we got to the game super early um, because, well, we didn't have much else to do. And we, you know, LA traffic and we just way overestimated how long it was going to take us to get there. So we were there like, uh, hours early. Okay. And so I said, well, I, you know, I want a Dodger dog. That was something on the old bucket list. Right. Uh, but the only place open is the, like there was, it's like a, uh, uh, what am I want? Like not a VIP room per se. Cause we weren't VIPs, but it was like a, it was uh, uh, a lounge, I guess. I don't know what you call it, <laughs> like a bar or whatever. And 
anyway, so I went in there and I said, I want the hot dog. Well, the hot dog was a Dodger dog with everything in the stadium on it, and it cost $21. <laughs> it was really good, but I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty surprised when I saw the price tag. $21 good? Uh, no, no, I don't think well, so. Well, it was memorable. It was memorable. You. That's true. It was memorable. Yeah, I think that's about the most I've ever paid for like a hamburger. I don't know about a hot dog, but I, I, I paid uh, that much for this gourmet burger that was supposed to be everybody was raving about, and uh, thought it was over. It wasn't really that good. Just me. Oh well. Any particular place or just? It was a restaurant in near uh, near Newport Beach. And uh, my daughter lived down there at the time, and she raved about it. And so we went there to have it, and I thought it was okay. What I mean, made it so expensive? I, that's the question I had. I I could not tell. No, there had to be like a hook, though, like right? I mean, I is, it, is it like Kobe beef or something? Or yeah, it was, it was the quality of the beef, but it, it just didn't taste that good to me. I don't know. Just give me a good old hamburger, that's all. I. It, 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 you know, it tasted too rich. Just give me a burger, you know? A burger with the fixings on there. I don't need all that other stuff. Was just, no, I didn't like it. I'd, I'd, I would rather have just gotten a regular old burger, burger from any of the fast food joints around here. I'll tell you what, that game I went to the Dodger game, though, it was almost an awkward incident uh, because uh, did you know that uh, the the Dodgers were playing the Rockies and Dexter Fowler was the center fielder for the Rockies at the time. And Uh Dexter, Mary, his wife is from Utah. And my my wife knew his wife growing up. So it just happened to be that the Rockies were in town. So she called her friend. Who lined us up tickets to the to the Dodger game? It was pretty cool. But every time Dexter Fowler came to the plate, we felt obligated to cheer for him, right? You know. <laughs> okay. So about the second time he got to the plate, we, we were yelling for him we to go Dexter and all this stuff. And, and seriously, the people in front of us turned, uh, stood up and turned around. <laughs> they were like, "Who are you rooting for?" And we said, "Well, now hold the phone here. We're we're not really rooting for anyone, but he got us the tickets, so we feel like we probably ought to cheer for him because you know, we're here for free, and and he lined it up. And they go, oh, okay, and turned around and sat down. Oh, so there's there's a code of there's a certain code you got to fill in order to be able to cheer for somebody. I don't I don't know, man. But they 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 stood up and turned around. All right. I wasn't really going to argue the principle in front of them. Where I didn't feel like." <laughs> You have no right to determine who I cheer for and who I don't. I just wanted them to sit down. I just, I, I just, I mean, who really cares? Are people going to get up in someone's face because they're rooting for somebody? It's, it's, I don't know. It just seems kind of funny to me. Well, yeah, you're the one. That, you're the one that always points out that hey, folks, this is just sports. Yeah, right. Okay. But these two bozos cared. So I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not inventing the situation. I wasn't going to be that. All right, you so, shouldn't. So, you shouldn't care who I'm rooting for, sir. I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but but now that you, but it, you've you got a, a story this, that's better. I got no, it. I, no, no. I don't have a story. I, just, I have a question. What is your best? As just going to a ball game, any kind of football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Olympics, what, what is the best sports experience you ever had just from a pure experience standpoint? Because I know you've been to a lot of games covering games and whatnot, but I'm talking about just to be there and absorb it. 
what was the best? Um, and shout out to our boy Scotty G, who's sportscaster of the year. But uh, the my first experience at the Spectrum in Logan, and I mentioned Scotty because <laughs> he took he took me up there because I had told him I had never seen a game up there, and uh, I I just I mean when the when the Spectrum and the herd was really at their heyday, and I haven't been up there in a couple of years, so maybe it's it's still as intense. But I mean, there are a few better sporting environments on this planet i'm convinced all right are you waiting for me to uh, tell a story no i'm not i just answered your question we can go to break <laughs> not sports report is coming up next stay tuned 97.5 and 1280 the zone i got a good one Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It is time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong play of the game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong play of the game. Announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850, and you'll win a uh, great zone prize pack, courtesy of our friends at uh, the Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer. So call our 12 right now. Uh, let's also get to it. It's time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Check them out, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where uh, are we going today? We're going to Quebec, Canada. But before we go there, Jake, I need to ask you, have you ever have you ever broken a rule or law or or done anything where you needed to come up with a ridiculous excuse for what you were doing. <laughs> An excuse for breaking the law? Or for any kind of rule breaking of any kind. Oh, I don't know. You know it, it, along the lines of, you know, what the excuses used to come up for, with for uh, not having your homework or having an assignment done or something. Did you ever really come up with a whopper that was absolutely false? I'm sure I did. But I don't know if anything's really coming to mind right now. I know that's a boring answer. I don't think I, I ever came up with anything crazy. Well, let me tell you about this woman up in uh, Quebec. All right. Up there with the pandemic going on, they have strict uh, rules about the curfews and people aren't supposed to be out on the street after, I think, 8 p.m., from between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning. All right. And, but there are exemptions for, for the rule, for essential workers who need to travel and also for those who need to walk their dogs. Well, one woman, apparently, she uh, attempted to use the walk your dog exemption for to her benefit this last Saturday. Uh, she was uh, with her, uh, her husband. Uh, or boyfriend, I guess it was. So she put she put him on a leash and said that she was walking her boyfriend, you know, like a dog. <laughs> like a dog? She's walking around the neighborhood? Now, I've never had a leash around my neck, but apparently she had a leash and she was walking her boyfriend. Hmm. Uh, that did not get her off the hook. Uh, she was fined, and we'll have to deal with those circumstances. But it got me thinking, man, I, I'm sure I've come up with really dumb excuses 
uh, for things that I've done in the past. Um, uh, and I've done some dumb things. Have you, have you ever done anything really dumb and you had to explain yourself? Sure. I'm sure I have. But, like, can you think of one? Well, Man, I'm, I'm thinking of you the other day where we uh, talked about how in your early 20s you went on some paradise vacation and you made up that you were <laughs> doing service. Yeah, but I, I confessed my you did. my fib right away. <laughs> you did, to your credit, but that's what's <laughs> leaping to mind right now. Well, I was down there doing some service, uh, building some stuff. No, that's not true. <laughs> I, that's just something I would never even think of. I, I mean, they know they're breaking the rules, but to come up with this whole notion that you're walking your dog, you're walking your boyfriend, I mean... I don't know. I can, see, hell, I can see Lisa walking you around the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, man. You'd have to have pads on your knees and all kinds of stuff, you know, unless I guess I was on my feet. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like such a, a dumb thing to try to get away with. And I, I remember uh, seeing a police report one time, and uh, it was – I forget where this happened. But there was a man who was caught – uh, on uh, on an elevated cliff, kind of not a cliff cliff, but but just a, a little hill next to the water, and there was another man who was in the water, and the man on up above was throwing rocks at the individual in the water, and when the police arrived, uh, they asked him what the heck he was doing, and he said he was trying to scare, he was concerned for the welfare of the, the, the person in the water and was throwing rocks to to scare them back into shore. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Anyway, a woman walking her boyfriend on a leash. Hmm. Have you ever been on a leash? No, no, I don't think so. My parents were not the, like, you, you have your kid on a leash at Disneyland, people. <laughs> All right. Did you, well, le- did you leash your children? No. Never did do that. Although, I, I can't think of anything that would be much more frightening than losing your child in a crowd. I can understand why people do that. Oh, yeah, I get it. I'm not I'm not judging here. My parents just never did that. Let me give you an example. One time I was walking over to the Rose Bowl, um, and it wasn't for, I don't believe it was the Rose Bowl. I can't remember what we were going there for. But there was a huge crowd on the street, on all the streets. And I thought of all the places, and I had little kids at the time, thought of all the places to lose your kid, that's about as scary as it gets. Because it's not even like a Disneyland. It's not a contained area. It's it's just the streets. But there were thousands of people everywhere. And I thought, what a frightening experience that would be. I understand why people do that, just to keep track of uh, what their kids are up to. But... You know, the Disneyland thing, that's what people talk about a lot. And I did, our daughter did walk away from us uh, at Disneyland once. Walked over to to watch the ducks. And uh, we uh, we kept walking. And that, then I turned to my wife and I said, where is so-and-so? And uh, we turned and ran back to where we were. And there was a man standing there holding our daughter. He picked her up because he thought she was lost. 
and he just stayed right on that spot, stayed exactly there because he figured the parents would be coming back. I thank that man. Great gratitude. I'm sure. Uh, she wanted to feed the ducks. Got to be stay close to mom and dad out there, I suppose. You know, I didn't really blame my wife for that. Should I have blamed her or should she have blamed me? I don't know. You do for for something accidentally happening. You're, yeah. you're looking to blame Lisa. Uh, here, let me just give you some advice. Don't blame Lisa ever. <laughs> okay, good thinking. Let, let's it. let's not worry about blame. Let's mm-hmm. let's not worry about that. And and uh, likely, if there's ever a debate of whose fault it is, yours or Lisa's, uh, I hate to break this to you, buddy, but it's probably not, my it's fault. It's not Lisa's. <laughs> Yeah, it is mine. And I, she may not be putting me on a leash, but if I blamed her when it when she had no responsibility at all, uh, I wouldn't be on a leash, but I might be in a doghouse. Oh, I see what you did there, Gordon. Bozzing. On that note, Gordy Chiesa, the coach, joins us next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.